Hello, welcome to I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken Krantz. And I am Chip Chantry. What's going on, Chip? Uh, I, I'm ready. I'm ready to do this today. I'm, I'm feeling good. How about you, Ken? I'm, uh, I'm excited for today's guest. Yes, as am I. As am I. I'm very excited to bring him on. Should we just do it? Should we just cut right to the chase, Ken? Do it. All right. Uh, uh, one of my favorite live performers of all time, uh, Upper Darby native for the Philadelphia people. Uh, Philadelphia, I want to call him a folk rock uh, musician. Some people call him a rock musician. Some people at one point called him a punk musician, which we're getting into. Uh, but uh, Philadelphia uh, music legend, Mr. Ken Queter is with us today. Ken Queter, how are you today? Pretty good. Pretty good. Just uh, navigating like everybody else through the pandemic and stuff and keeping as busy as possible. You know, you're you're out there. I mean, you've been working for months now, right? Uh, at least through the pandemic out there doing live shows. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, when the pandemic hit right before it hit, I was doing four to five nights a week, um, which is a lot for someone in my advanced age. So when the pandemic hit, it was really weird. It was kind of saving my life because I was pretty beat up for a while. So what I did is I started to do live broadcasts on Facebook and Instagram um, with uh, I did like a puppet, hard to believe, but a puppet show and uh, <laughs> was teaching guitar. And then as things start to loosen up uh, a while back, I started to get back on stage. And I also made sure I was busy doing things like uh, outdoor barbecue parties, safe distancing. Yep. Sure. Uh, and I did a lot of rooftop gigs on, on top of people's rooftops. Oh, that's great. So, yeah. That, I mean, and that's kind of what we did. You know, Ken and I are both stand-up comedians, of course. So, the, you know, that's what we had to deal with as well. Now, when yeah, you, you had to, you, you definitely had to, my God. Yeah. Now, now, it, obviously it was, you know, besides the fact that we're in a worldwide pandemic, it, you know, it was a pain as a performer to have to adjust to that. Did you, I feel like at least I, me doing Zoom shows, like I learned some things about myself as a performer and I learned some tricks that I'm actually carrying over to when I'm going back into a live audience. Now, did did you pick up anything or learn anything from doing those Zoom shows? Like, did anything good come out of it? I will tell you what came out of it, uh, because it's a really good, really good question. I was kind of forced to expand, particularly online stuff like this puppet thing or whatever uh and almost not give a damn without the, like the editorial process that that you do in, in your craft uh, and mine um the things i was shy about doing i kind of kicked that shyness away mm -hmm. and i've gotten a little bit i hate to use this word it's kind of a lazy word but i've gotten goofier uh less fearful of working outside boundaries that I created over the years. Mm -hmm. And um, even when I go on stage now, I mean, I'll be on stage tonight. Um, I'm just, I don't know what it is. There's something like the pandemic, the, 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 the um, what would you call the importance, you know, the, the pandemic, the seriousness of the pandemic made me get less serious about my art. If that makes any sense. Like, like dead serious, but less serious about fear. Yeah. You know, I, I'm the same That's way. Like I'm, I'm an anxious person. I've always been nervous about, okay, I got to do the show. I can't bomb. I want to make sure I'm, I'm there on time. I want to make sure people don't hate me, you know, and, and it, that always goes through my head. That's some of the last stuff that I worry about anymore. Cause now I'm so nervous about not as much, but like for the longest time, like, I don't want to get COVID. So like I'm masking up and I'm like, Oh, is somebody going to be sick in the audience or one of the other comedians? So my, I feel like my brain, not that this is a good thing, but it's so worried and focused on that, that the actual performance is like, I could care less. And I feel like I've done a lot better because I I've, I'm not focused on that, not worrying about that. And I feel like I'm more free performing. Yeah. It's almost like a reintroduction of the moments that I decided to become a performer. Like when I was really young and I started, I was not fearful at all. And then there was a few episodes where all of a sudden I started tightening up my focus. And what you're just saying is like, you know, um, the, you're doing the performance, but there's other things more important. But the beauty of what you do in terms of comedy and what I think what I do, which is, you know, um, it, it, I don't even know. I can't really describe what it is I do, but it's it, it's still performance. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of performance is that you're the guy you're the author of your performance and you shouldn't, I should not have let, let certain editors that were not me edit my authorship. 
and in the pandemic itself kind of weirdly gave me more Superman powers or something by, by not giving, I, I take what I do dead serious, but at the same time I was willing to take more risk because nothing can be as risky as getting sick. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. Really sick. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it, I think it puts things in perspective for sure. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I didn't need a pandemic to do that. I just I go into every gig assuming I'm going to bomb and people are going to hate me. And there actually (laughs) is something kind of freeing about that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There is because it's the I'm I'm literally reading right now. You guys probably know uh, uh, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. I'm reading his other one of his other books, like How to Stop Worrying. It's I think it's where Dr. Strangelove's title came from, but How to Stop Worrying and Live Your Life (laughs) or whatever. And he's like, just go to the worst case scenario and accept that and then build from there. And there's nothing nowhere to go then up. Then it's like, yeah. So what happens if you bomb? Nothing. You're just going to. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. You might lose a gig, but I mean, it's going to be tough. You you just. changing you just completely nailed i've never had it articulated so well you just completely nailed my entire thought process and creative process i always i always start at the worst case scenario and then and then build backwards and what i always do is i always worried about the worst case scenario and just tried to stay away from that so hard that i was limiting myself now it's like you're just like all right if i bomb i bomb and then it's um, there's nowhere to go but up. So you might as well just have fun with it. And that's when you can, I think, really succeed. So, yeah. Well, I mean, it's um, now, now sp- I, I something about the, the fear factor. It's just letting that go. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And just it's one of the you make, to be honest with you. I mean, to me, I hide behind my guitar. You guys, you got nothing to hide. behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's it's just us out there, you know, and it's it's uh, uh, it, it is. Interesting. Now, now, I will say this, like there's definitely with your. Uh, all the songs that you've written over the years, there's, there's so much. Um, first of all, let me ask you this. How, what would you consider yourself? Like, do, do you, I don't know if you want to pigeonhole yourself at all, but what do you consider yourself as far as a performer? Like it's a, a folk rock musician, a rock musician. A, 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 how, how would you describe yourself? Um, I mean, there's been so many different Ken Queters. It's weird. I mean, I really, that's true too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really comfortable with, with like, uh, the uh, folk rock thing, folk mm. to folk rock. Yeah. I was considered punk way back in the early days, not knowing why, but I was. Uh, um, but I can definitely, if I have to, I, and I, I enjoy it, I can rock out like Jim Morrison still. You know, I mean, like tonight when I do Smokey Joe's, it's pretty, pretty rock heavy with Mark Teague. It's like, yeah. it's not like Pete Seeger or Joan Baez, <laughs> uh, but right. I will do. <laughs> I happen to love the John Baez, Pete Seeger stuff, Woody Guthrie, but um, I'm still um, very comfortable with rocking. The only reason I don't rock as much as I used to is the complexities of booking nowadays and the amount of money that you make when you hire seasoned players. It's not fair to the guys to not make the money. When you're younger, you can handle not making a lot of money, but when you have a six-piece band and a roadie, whatever, it's just – the pay scale is still similar to 1978. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. Um, Same thing with comedy like I say, too. I, yeah. When we do private parties, I go berserk. I get paid well, but I can't do the thing I used to do. I used to do, you know, 100 plus rock shows a year in the 70s, 80s, and part of the 90s. You know, mm-hmm. now, because I was younger and I could live. You know, in a flop house. I, I mean, I actually, <laughs> I was in a flop house. I loved it. It's fucking chaos. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's the best. I missed the fucking flop house. <laughs> um, now, you're playing with Mark Teague tonight, who, I mean, is just a monster guitar player. Uh, oh, yeah. Is it just the two of you, or are you playing with anyone else? Well, it's Mark and myself, and then he has the, when he wants to, he'll uh, kick off the programs on his laptop. He has, like, to uh, augment the sound. Okay. We'll do that a half a dozen times tonight. But other than that, it's an electric guitar, an acoustic guitar, and a maniac on stage. Of know? course. And are you, is there a live crowd? Or because I know for a while it was just the two of you at Smoke, I, I think. They right? have a limited number of people. It's not like the old days. Yeah. Uh, uh, but they have them fairly spread out. Everybody's checked for vaccination cards. That's good. I yeah. mean, it, and, and everything, you know. So, yeah. But it's not, they don't, there's a certain number of people that are allowed in there. It's not like the old days, you know. Now let's go be- before the pandemic, you know, up until then. And 
I think one of the things you're known for is these legendary Tuesday nights at Smokey Joe's. What, what was the how long have you been doing that? And can, can you explain to everybody what that looks like? Because I know that's just a crazy situation. Do you mean I can do? Well, first of all, this is the 30th year in a row. In fact, I have shot glasses right over there, right over there that commemorate Mark T. Kenquita 30th anniversary this year at Smokey Joe's. So it's been 30 years. But are you is your question? How has it evolved? Or yeah, how's it evolved? And like so Smokey Joe's basically is a bar on Penn's campus. So it's I would say the majority is is you Penn students, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. And you, you you play it. Are you still playing at midnight? Tonight we go on at midnight. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I just I've seen some of these shows and they're just sort of these these epic shows. And what, what do you think has has caused that? Th- How have you been there for 30 years? I mean, that's just such a an amazing accomplishment to have that standing gig for so long. What's what do you think's carried you on for 30 years there? That's a really good question, because every so often we will have a dip where all of a sudden we're not doing too well for a month or two. Yeah. Uh, we think that's it. Um, then all of a sudden come back up. I'm not sure exactly what happens, but uh, um, there is sort of like rumors about not so much Mark, but about me as like some kind of kooky guy. Um, I, I think they get a kick out of the fact that like they're all in school and yeah. they have to pretty much abide by rules and regulations. And then there's one night a week. There's a guy on stage like yelling, fuck the rules. Fuck the regulations. There's beauty and <laughs> chaos. There's fertility and pandemonium. And that's basically the show. I mean, yeah. I mean like, like, you don't know. I mean, I've passed out on stage. I've fallen off stage. I mean, there's something, not that I did it on purpose, because like, I got fucked up, you know. But right. that on occasion what happens. So they like they like the fact, I, I can't speak on their behalf, but I do think that they do like the fact that there's there's not any stringent rules. And, and then you're also talking, you have like this sort of, almost invalid performance on my part. Then you have the validity, the fucking validity of Mozart on guitar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got like Mozart and Soupy Sales. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what you got. So I don't think there's another Mozart Soupy Sales duo in Philly. You know? <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, which is great. And, and Mark's such a, just, just a, like I said, just a monster, virtuoso musician that he, you who used to play with my brother, Adam, obviously, with, so my brother, Adam, played drums with you at Smoke. Smokey Joe's for for a while, a long time, and oh, then, yeah, a couple of years, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And then he and Mark were in a like a wedding band together, oh, yeah. for forever playing. Um, the uh, I know, I think I was telling this to to Ken the the other day. My my wife got her master's at Penn about ten years ago, and okay. I was at the graduation ceremony. We're in the stadium. I mean, it's you know thousands thousands of people in the stadium. Denzel Washington was the guest was the graduation speaker that year because his one of his kids was graduating from Penn, I think. So he was there. So he was the graduation speaker. And he's just talking about Penn. He literally mentioned your name and the crowd went nuts like the crowd went crazy. Like it was just you just have this this like resounding presence at at Penn, which I think is like such a uh, I mean, an amazing feat and just such a to have that 30 year legacy is is it was really I heard about that was beautiful. That was about about 10 years ago. And uh, I don't know how that happened. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how. But he put me in there. That was nice. You know? Yeah. Now, um, you know, you can those those shows can obviously be kind of crazy, can can be kind of drunk. You know, it's college kids, that type of thing. You know, you've dealt with that all, all throughout your career. Ken and I deal with, you know, it's we're entertainers. We have to. We we deal with people who are out there drinking, out there having a good time. Sometimes I'm really up for it. There's some nights where I just want nothing to do with the crowd. I'm annoyed by drunks. I'm annoyed by that. How do you face how do you go into a crowd? Like, what's your mental mindset when you're like, all right, I got the show tonight or whatever it is. Uh, you know, it might be a little rowdy, which can be good or could go off the rails. How do you how do you get the energy up and how do you focus on like giving them the best show? Like what, what's your mindset going into a show like that? That's a really good question. I, it's very rare. I mean, I, I almost always feel like I need to perform. I'm not always happy with um, some of the situations that I have to face. I mean, I'm sure you've been in uh, so many different clubs yeah. and some are like, you are the focus of the, evening and then sometimes people are pretty disorganized in the audience um the, um i i don't know what it is but um i i definitely don't i don't really ever phone it in um but there are times when i've left feeling like i did not connect 
with an audience. But um, I, like I say, I don't know where I get the energy to do it. Um, it's very rare that I never wanted, that I would not want to go on stage unless I had like a crippling hangover and I'll still go on. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, I think the biggest challenge is the nature of the audience on a particular evening. Sometimes they're really receptive and you're all in the same zip code mentally. And then sometimes there's people, uh, a handful of people or more than that, that aren't anywhere near uh, in the zip code that you're sending signals out. Mm -hmm. But I just I get through it somehow uh, because this is what I do. Um, it's not perfect, but it beats the government job I had 40 years ago. I'll tell you that, you know. <laughs> which, wait, which was what? What were you doing then? I work, I was uh, a supervisor for like food stamps, believe it or not. Okay. I was in charge of people's food stamps. Yeah. Of which, when I quit, I went on the other side of the table and, I, <laughs> and then I applied for food stamps, of which I bought at least 50 gallons of carnation milk and I glued <laughs> Ken Queter posters all throughout Philadelphia for a year. So I, de I defaced Philadelphia with Ken Queter propaganda posters with a picture of Lee Harvey Oswald getting shot by Jack Rib Ruby all through Philly, funded by the food stamp program. Yeah, I, I want to talk about those posts. I watched, there's a really great documentary on you. Uh, yeah, we, that, we watched, that, that I had seen the documentary me. years ago and then I, I rewatched it and I had Ken watch it too. And um, those posters, it was such a brilliant move on your part. And it was um, it was almost punk rock before punk rock was was even out there, you know, doing it for themselves. So you it was early. It was it started in 1970 and hit high gear in 75 when I applied for the food stamps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, a true story. Yeah. But, but yeah, you, they, no one was doing like I, I was just. I grew up in Southwest Philadelphia, uh, great neighborhood, a lot of um, a lot of great folks out there. Um, but when you're in a neighborhood like that or a lot of neighborhoods, you have to have an identity so people don't fuck with you. Mm -hmm. So my identity was a guitar player. And then I thought I had to really officialize the fact that I'm a performer. So I came up with the concept of uh, of the posters and I started defacing property in my neighborhood. Then I had to move on to other parts of Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it, it worked. Um, you almost did it in reverse. It was like you you got all of this awareness out first. And if I have the documentary correct, and, and then you kind of put your band together and got a show going. And if then you when, got it, yeah, it went backwards. It was like I had after getting it was a gamble to begin with. I wasn't sure if people were going to react to the posters, but the fact that they did, then all of a sudden I had to put together a band because it was just Ken Queter and the secret kids, but there were no secret kids. <laughs> that, they were so secret. They didn't even know who they were. Oh, by, by the way, I, I, I know my microphone is kind of hiding, but I wanted to show Ken Krantz here. Uh, I'm, I am officially wearing today my secret kids. Uh, I saw that. Yeah. T -shirt right oh, here. that's fantastic. Yeah, and right here, and uh, that's my secret. Kid. Yeah, you, that, you, that's a good show. Johnny, Johnny, good times, man. Yep, uh, friend good of the time. show, John, Johnny's <laughs> actually been, I think, on. He, Johnny's been a guest on our show, I think, more than anyone else. Yeah, he he's like our, uh, he's like our Alec Baldwin on SNL. <laughs> like he's yeah, he's co-hosted this more than anybody. Johnny, good times, man. Mm -hmm. Sweetheart, talented guy, he's great. Lots Another guy who's energy. just out there in Philly. I can't believe because he and I are coming up. Geez, on, on almost twenty years doing it like he's the same thing of just hitting the pavement and just all over the place now you were you obviously just became just a huge force in music in philadelphia in the 70s and 80s and, and, and so on um did you do a lot of touring as well did you go out did you kind of focus on philly or were, were there a lot of did you go out to other cities a lot well i mean in the 70s when i had it like a real manager and part of the 80s i had a manager we went uh we did like the northeast you know boston mm -hmm. new york city mm -hmm. all the time throughout Jersey, Delaware. I mean, I played, I mean, you wouldn't believe it, but I played with like fucking like ACDC, Cheap Trick. I was always on all these fucking yeah. bills, even in like in Delaware or New Jersey or Boston or, you know, particularly New York City. Um, I, so yeah, I, I pretty much did the Northeastern, what do you call it? Uh, quadrant. Like, yeah. And that, that was, uh, that was Bon Scott ACDC, right? With Cheap Trick? Or, it was early, early. It was early stuff, like the super early. Yeah, you know? yeah. So Bon Scott. So the thing is, nobody cheap trick. For instance, I did a, a number of things with those guys. 
They're actually, most of them are from Philadelphia. Yeah. And the, the guitar player, mm-hmm. uh, Rick yep. Nelson, he yes. was, I mean, I have a funny story. Rick, as wacky and kooky as he is with the throwing the guitar picks out, I went into a place called Artemis in like 1972, maybe. And uh, it was the hot spot. Everybody was, I mean, guys like uh, Boss Skaggs, David Bowie, when they came into town, they, they went to Artemis. It was like a disco or something. Well, I went down and I heard they were doing folk music. <laughs> and a disco. I went in there and uh, I tried to do my thing. I was pretty high and I was singing about numbers, like one, two, three, four, five, six, like the alphabet is doing all this shit. And <laughs> Rick Nielsen, who I had no idea who he was, but I found out years later yeah. when I got to meet him, he goes, he threw me the fuck out. He goes, you're too weird for this fucking place. <laughs> yeah. And then like five or six years later, my drummer and the Secret Kids knew him real well, and we rehearsed together. And he said, "I remember you fucking weird." <laughs> <laughs> you imagine being too weird for Cheap Trick? Yeah, yeah. that's funny. But he's real sweet. They're all the sweet, sweetest. Guys I just I just saw them. They were they were my first post pandemic concert. They they were playing down the street. And where were they? Uh, where were they? They were uh, I'm I'm down the Jersey Shore. They were at the Count Basie in Red Bank. Okay. And, yeah, and they were they're still so good. I mean it's it's um Rick Nielsen's son is on the drums now. It's not Bunny Carlos anymore. Yeah, and then yeah. uh Tom the bass player just had some kind of procedure, so he's not on this tour and his and Robin Zander's son is the bass player. Wow. So, yeah, so wow. so when you're up with it's it's two dads and two sons just Very rocking cool. out together and it's yeah, it was super cool to see. Yeah, man, I, I I got a chance to really hang out with those guys because, like I said, my drummer in the Secret Kids was be, was best friends with a couple of those guys, you know, and, and and my drummer actually was a bartender at Artemis. I didn't find all this shit out till later. It was this weird spider web <laughs> yeah. from a few years prior to us all meeting up officially as, uh, you know, people wanted to make it big, you know. When you, when you were coming up in, in the 70s, into the 80s, uh, I know there was definitely obviously a scene and I, th- I think it's easier to look back in time on a, like, oh, that was the Philly scene in the 90s or the, whatever it was. D- uh, did you have a group of musicians or bands that you sort of linked up with that played shows with that you were friends with? Or did you kind of consider it more of a solo venture, whether it was with you or with the Secret Kids? Or did you have other bands that you? Well, I mean, I always played with different bands, but there were certain bands that I would really enjoyed performing with that were from Philadelphia. There was the Alan Mann band. I don't know if you ever heard of him, but he was very literate, very literary, uh, grew up in the same kind of tree I grew up on in terms of, uh, you know, the, the beat Nick stuff and early mm-hmm. Bob Dylan. Uh, then there was uh, I played with a band called Johnny's Dance Band. They were one of the first people to get record deal in the 70s local band. They were excellent. Uh, of course, Baru Review, another band from the 80s. We played a lot of shows together. So, so let's let's talk about that for a second. The first time I saw you live was probably about 15 or so years ago at the TLA with my brother. My brother and I at the TLA opening for Brewer Review for one of their holiday shows. It was like Thanksgiving, you know, their Christmas shows. Which sure. was great. You were amazing and, and they were amazing. How, just selfishly, how would you describe to Ken what Baru review is because it would it they were that was my i had heard that name when i was a kid but then seeing them for the first time without even hearing them just sort of blew my mind can you kind of explain them Baru review uh, okay quick? well i mean like once again you're like like i joke about mozart on guitar with me tonight yeah uh, that whole band is fucking they're all mozartian players i mean the guitar players and uh the drummer and all those guys uh, then you have up front, you got like Bob Rue, who's obviously influenced by um, theater and, yeah. and Alice mm-hmm. Cooper mm-hmm. and um, burlesque. And so you mix it all together and you have pretty good songs and an unbelievable machine of a band executing these tunes. It's pretty undeniable that they're on they're on level there because no one else in Philly. Uh, the, I mean, they, there are certainly theatrical productions, Philly music, but but they, they were one of the the first ones in the eighties to really pull it off. Plus uh, the radio stations at the time, the commercial WMMR, uh, WYSP at that time were very much um, on, uh, on the same page promoting Baru review. So it was a perfect storm of publicity 
and they executed quite well. You know, yeah. and I, Bob Rue used to be my roadie. I mean, in the Secret Kids, at the last days of Secret Kids, he was my roadie and booking agent. And then I kind of quit briefly, and then he took part of my. He got some of the Secret Kids in his his early incarnation of Peru with you. you oh, okay, yeah. I mean, it's an amazing show. I mean, there's costume changes, and it's just it's, hold a, whole, a, it's a whole thing. I mean, it's it's great. I, I'm sorry, I can hear you now. Oh yeah. Um, I, I couldn't hear you. Now I can hear you. Oh, okay. Um, so can you and I have, uh, we have a good friend in common, uh, the great Eric Harrison, who's, uh, yeah, he, he's coming on here as a guest uh, soon. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Eric does um, uh, the theme music the, the, the for I Love Rock and Roll. So the music you hear before and after is from Eric. But he he texted me when I when I told him you were coming on, and he he gave me a couple questions to ask. Sure, yeah, I love him. I just got his CD <laughs> just a couple of days ago. Yeah, the the John the He's John Prine one. He's, He's very funny. Really funny yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he told me to ask you about driving Tom Waits around. Yeah. Okay. The, the uh, Tom Waits thing happened in. Uh, um. I think it was, it was like 1974, 75. The guy who was going to become my manager, Bill Ive, I was at his office one day, and he goes, do you have a car? I go, yeah. So I had like a, um, what they call a deuce and a quarter. It was a 1974 <laughs> Buick, gigantic car. You know, had a fucking police siren on it, too. And um, <laughs> so when um, he said, there's this guy, Tom Waits, who uh, – He's touring the general area here for a week or two. Would you mind driving him around? I go, sure, man. You know, and uh, so I picked him up. Um, I think I picked him up. I picked him at 30th Street Station. And the next thing you know, Tom liked me. I remember the first thing I said to Tom was, as I was opening up my trunk and taking out his suitcase, I said, hey, man, listen. I said, I said if you need anything, I'm, I'm your connection. It's the first thing I said. <laughs> he goes, I'm okay. I'm all, I'm all right. I'm all right. You know? I said, just think about it. You know? <laughs> he goes, I'm all right. So uh, next thing you know, I get another phone. You know, I, do, I drive him to like Glassboro. What was Glassboro State College? I drove him up to New York. Um, I, on and off for about, he would come in for a few days here, go away, come back and and he did like three little tiny tours in the general area. But the third, by the time he did the third tour, I started drinking a little too much. And I was waking up in the back. Like I was getting him to the gig, but I couldn't get him back. You know? <laughs> did he have to drive? Dress, dress room. So then I would wake up in the back seat and I'd look in the front and he had my hat. So, uh, Next thing I know, I got fired by Tom Waits for drinking, you know, <laughs> true story. <laughs> and you know what? I thought he thought it was funny, but he didn't. <laughs> right, right. The yeah. thing was too funny. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Artie Lang tells a great story about Tom Waits. I heard him tell it on Howard because uh, Artie, Artie Lang was in a movie with Tom Waits once. Yeah. And... Um, he and Artie loves this, you know, Artie's a Jersey dude and he loves that song Jersey Girl. So Artie, yeah. Artie asked him about the song. He had this whole like grand romantic notion of who the song was about. And he was like, yeah. you know, was, was it about some summer romance you had down the boardwalk and this girl that just captured your imagination and you never forgot about her like already had built this song up in his head and he said that tom waits just rolled his eyes and went my fucking wife's from newark <laughs> <laughs> that's tom waits <laughs> and then uh eric also told me to ask you about and i know that this is covered in the documentary but um did you did you tell Clive Davis to go fuck himself or was it more of like, was that more of a metaphor or did you actually tell Clive Davis to go fuck himself? Well, what happened is I did this gig. He comes to the gig, you know, it was a very good show. And he was like, so we went to another bar. We ended up uh, just, we had a conversation. We had a meeting after my performance, which was a place called the Hot Club. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it or it was like so I, I saw, I saw that it's, it's where Ten Stone is. Is that right? Or where exactly where yeah. Ten Stone is? Yeah. Everybody played there. Elvis Costello, the Ramones, everybody fucking played there. All, all, 
you know, everybody. So I did a gig there. Uh, it was set up so that he could take a peek at me, you know. So he shows up with a fleet of fucking limousines. And um, next, you know, after the show, he's like really, compl- you know, very complimentary. And um, um, we couldn't talk there. It was too insane. So we went up the street to a place called Doobies at 22nd mm-hmm. and Lombard. And we had a meeting there. And uh, um, he was like, a to me, he was like an alien creature. He was very manicured. I'd never seen anything like this. And he had a fur, big fur coat on. And um, he had, you know, his people with him. And um, so he was telling me what he thought of me, which basically was complimentary. But he, he kind of crossed the line <laughs> when, uh, when he said that uh, he didn't think I had uh, a hit song. Mm-hmm. You know, and that I should rewrite some of my songs and make them um, with uh, not as many syllables like just basically shorten things and dumb, dumb, it, dumb it down. I, and I said to him, I said, you know, Clive, I left my government job so I didn't have to take fucking orders, you know. <laughs> and I said, this, I'm doing this thing like as if I'm Jim Morrison or a young bot. Like I was trying to explain to him, but <laughs> he wasn't going to have any of it. And I said, I like slammed my hand. I go, you're, you know, you're talking to me like Ken, like I kind of pulled an ego trip on the guy. Uh, uh, and then he goes, uh, you know, this meeting's over. He goes, we'll be in. I'll be in. He just looked at my manager and said, I'll be in touch, which they did stay in touch. But I just said, fuck you. And then, like, that was the end. That's what happened. You know, then yeah. there's a lot of stories. That I poured a, uh, a fucking pitcher of beer on. I said, I don't remember that. But I heard that story. <laughs> Um, Well, I loved what what you said in the documentary um, where they said, you know, if if you change these songs up, you can have hit singles. And you said, what if I change them up and they're not hit singles? And then and then I've compromised what I want to do for myself. Can you guarantee me that there'll be hits? And they said, no, of course not. And um, that's a really, it's a very admirable uh, stance to take, uh, you know, for for the sake of your art. But do you ever, do you ever regret it? I mean, did you, did you ever, did that kind of opportunity ever come your way again? Um, Yeah, I mean, yeah, because I spoke to Joe Smith, a couple other guys, but nobody really understood what I was doing. Um, And I mean, that's a great question. Do I regret it? Not really. I mean, because they wanted me to separate me from that band that I had. And that Mm -hmm. was, I'm telling you, I don't know anything about music theory. The guys that were in my band were great at articulating what my musical intentions were. They could have put, I mean, Clive Davis and a couple other guys, they were like, well, we guys who came after my, I was approached by the guys who represented fucking, um, uh, what was that band? Uh, they did that song. It's an American band. What was the name of it? Oh, um, Grand, Grand, Grand Funk, Funk Railroad. I had like Grand Funk Railroad guys, like uh, the managers, and they all like were saying, they all said the same thing. You know, we could put you in this room in New York City with the greatest players, but they didn't understand. I don't know how to, I would talk to band members in shapes, like triangles and, you know, squares and isosceles about where this song was going. And the guys that I had were excellent, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I really do think I would have probably became a heroin addict, like killed myself if it didn't work out. So it didn't work out, but I mean, I'm still playing. Right. You know? Yeah. But it didn't I mean, work. It didn't work out on your terms. Not on my terms, you know, but I, <laughs> I, but I've had a lot of fucking fun. I'll tell you. Yeah. Cause you know, cause I watched other bands. They got, I, I'm not saying anybody shouldn't sign a deal if they have to go through that type of thing, but I did watch other bands that were very good. I don't like I mentioned any names. Guys from Philly, they were excellent. And they they did have the they had to defang themselves a little bit. They defanged yeah. a little over the edge. And then I I always had a constant one. I didn't recognize these guys because they were already got the wardrobe going. They had like these image things going. And I was I, I don't know. I, I know I couldn't do the wardrobe. <laughs> I'm not gonna wear a pair of like, you know, you know, warby, whatever the fucking glasses are. Yeah. You know, I, I just couldn't do it. You know, it's just just the way I am, <laughs> you know? 
Now, and also in a lot of your music, in a lot of my favorite songs of yours, there's definitely an element of humor in it, an element of comedy. Oh, yeah. Like there's, so do you intentionally go for that sometimes? Or is that just, is that how you were raised around being funny? Or is there a certain way that you approach a song? You're like, I'm going to make this one funny. There's almost no logic to me when I write a song or I have written songs. It's like, it comes to me like in a sort of semi-trance and then I go, that's kind of funny, you know, like, uh, uh, and then I'll just put it in. I don't sit down and go, I mean, you know, any songs that I sat down and wrote, like figured out what I was going to do. There might be less than five songs. One of them was the ballad of Manu Paul. Like I wrote it. <laughs> Like, like that was Which like is funny because I would assume that like not to take anything. Song. That's one of my favorite songs of I like I love that song, but it's like I would assume that just came out one night at a at Smokey Joe's or somewhere like that 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 it came with that. But you sat down and and wrote that because it's a great song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it was like basically it was a cocaine dealer who was like on my case for weeks. He goes, "You got to write a song about minute balls." Go, nah, fuck that. Yeah, where was that? Marble slate, this marble thing with lines of coke. Who goes, do this coke, do this, start writing that song. So I go, as long as that marble slate keeps coming down the steps, I'll fucking finish. It. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, this guy was a complete cocaine dealer, right? And like in his house, he had these big signs, no smoking. You can't <laughs> coming down those fucking steps. There was no heat in there. We had like a fucking, it was like, what do you call it? Uh, a hibachi. With a hibachi. Uh, snorting coke next to a hibachi. For heat. Oh it was fucking God. nuts. That is fucking great. That's also, that's the, that is my new favorite uh, inspiration for a song that I've ever <laughs> come across. <laughs> my my coke dealer said you got to write a song about Manu Bowl. <laughs> yeah, but no smoke. No, you can't smoke a cigarette. You know? who, who was your coke dealer? Jeff Hornacek? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <that was> Mike <laughs> Chaminsky. He was the guy in the he passed, he passed on, but he was actually a big supporter of the local music scene. Yeah. And he was always hooking us up, you know. So, <laughs> do, do you have a fa- Is there, whether it's a favorite show or just a favorite venue, whether it's still around or, or not anymore a favorite venue to play in philly well of course i'm going to say you know smoky joe's is one of them you know sure. because it's been so loyal well it's you also know, the, uh, the ryan family who i know a little bit and they're just like the, you know the nicest people that incredibly that gracious yeah. loyal beautiful yeah. yeah classy very very nice loyalty to me is at the, pretty much the top for anybody um i mean of course dobbs on south street i played there a lot of they just reopened. I'm going to be back there next on this weekend. Oh, great! Um, but I did like 300 consecutive Sundays there, like every wow. Sunday afternoon. So I'm going to. They closed. Now they're reopened. That's one of my favorite places. I mean, I can name a, a, a dozen. I mean, the main point was a beautiful place, the mm-hmm. Tin Angel. Sure. But right now, I mean, Smoky Joe's has been fantastic to me, and Dobbs is coming up, mm-hmm. and um, there's a couple other places too as well. You know. Do you ever get since you're since you're doing this uh, standing gig for thirty years now? I'm I'm sure you got to be finding now like kids of of students that you played for are now UPenn students, or like do you run into that kind of thing? Oh, of course, yeah. Like, yeah, I hear all that. My dad, you hear people go, "My dad watched you," and I always, you know. And I think I, I mean, I'm approaching now maybe grandparents. I, yeah, it's probably possible because if I started in 1991, there, 92, uh, that's 30 years ago. So, but certainly parents, fathers, mothers, and uh, the it's been I tell you it's been a like a beautiful, beautiful thing, you know, um, because uh, like once again, even though I didn't get the big record deal, this is pretty big in my heart. Yeah, loyalty and. Um, the appreciation of different generations. Cause sometimes in my line of business, particularly, you know, rock and roll, whatever it is, or uh, I do, you can be pigeonholed in just a certain group of people are going to like you. I'm yeah. really lucky because with Mark Teague, he brings to the table some like music that's been written fairly recently. Mm-hmm. And then I can learn those tunes and then I'll do the old stuff. It's a real mixed bag. Yeah. So I've been able to keep the interest of, a certain percentage of Penn students to watch us, but 
at the same time, like, because I, I got to give a lot of credit to Mark T because mm-hmm. they will ask for Beyonce or something, which I don't know, yeah. you know, and then Mark will lately, he'll do it. And then they'll, they'll be happier than you can imagine. And then I'll do, you know, Beatles or something. Is there a song that in the last, like, let's say 10 years that has come along that you, that Mark plays with you or that you've learned that is sort of like a, a new favorite, like there's kind of came across that somebody requested and you're like, Oh wow, I, lo- I love playing this song. Is it, can you think of? Oh one? yeah, like something from way back, like yeah, or, or yeah, like or um, like even like a more recent song that you like. Oh, I like a Beyonce song that you learned how to play, and you're like, oh my god, this is I love this song now. Like okay, I mean well, uh, Taylor Swift, uh, "You Belong with Me." That's mm-hmm. huge. I mean, yeah, I play, yeah. that's every week we play that. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. and Miley Cyrus. Uh, Mark will play. Uh, I mean, with Mark, he'll play. I mean, really, really. I mean, I could actually do a PhD on the selection of tunes that are requested and why they are. There's songs as old as Dancing Queen, which are huge. And, you, yeah. and also, um, what's the name? Um, the John Denver song, uh, West Take Virginia. Me, uh, Take Me Home, Country Roads. Yeah, yeah. huge. And then yeah. you've got like Lady Gaga stuff, you know, the mm-hmm. one from the movie, uh, Tell yeah. Me Something. Uh, oh, um, yeah, the, huge. Yeah. But I mean, like, then there's songs that you would never think that they would like, and they 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 love it, you know. Yeah. So like Hallelujah, you know, yeah. by Leonard Cohen wrote it. Um, but the stuff that cracks me up is like uh, stuff that's fifty years old, like Dancing in the Moonlight. Yeah. Huge. Oh sure, like, huge. You know. Yeah, one of the best. But I could oh. do a PhD on it, but I don't think I have the time. <laughs> you know. What what I loved about the documentary, Ken, was that um, it's like you just said before, like I never got the big record deal, but I've got this, you know, th- this cross generational love that's that's in my heart. Um, what I loved about it was like, OK, you you didn't get the big record deal and maybe you didn't conquer the world as a rock star, but you got what you wanted. You got a career in music. You got to be on stage every night and, and watching that documentary, it feels like, like you're one of these guys that's going to do it until he drops. Like you, you're, you're definitely a lifer and, and you're doing what you love. And there's a lot of beauty in that. Yeah. I always joke that there's two words on my back. One is life. And right at that, a sentence, life sentence. <laughs> like, and, and, I mean, because so, I remember, a couple of years ago, I got on an airplane to do a gig in Chicago and someone, someone's saying, man, you're still playing. I go, yeah, I'm like one of those old blues guys. You, you can't get rid of me. Like, I'm like, like when you remember, like, you know, John Lee Hooker, or BB King, or yeah. like Muddy Waters. It's like, like in what I, what I'm doing now, it's, it's not all that far removed from what the blues guys were continuing in that tradition. Uh, and, uh, or, or little Richard or Jerry Lee Lewis playing small rooms, night in night out except i'm doing it still at an advanced age but uh i feel lucky the only my only uh problem that i can foresee right now is if i can physically keep doing it i mean like uh i I mean i'm going to be pretty old this this week's a pretty serious birthday and uh uh i mean like i definitely have to say the last two years Irregardless of the pandemic, I can feel my. Mo- it sounds bizarre, but the, but the the electrons and protons and the molecules in my body have totally switched from high to mid range, mid speed. It's not you know getting out of bed is a little tricky and shit like that. You know, yeah. so I mean, and tonight <laughs> I've been up since like I don't know. I get up early, man, and I, I don't know if I get a nap and what, but I go on at midnight and I won't get up till four because yeah. I horse around after the show. Sure. So, my, my only fear is that physically I won't be able to do what I've been doing. And I can tell I'm slowing down. Like that's what I don't, you know, but, but still doing midnight shows. Like I, if I had a midnight show tonight, I, I'd be beside myself right now. I wouldn't know what to do. Like I have to do a zoom show at eight o'clock and I'm like, man, I got to last that long right now. <laughs> that's, that's where I'm at. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's and people, you know, like for comedians or musicians, they like nobody ever pictures that drive home at the end of the night. The drive like, home, yeah. Oh, there's and and it's you. It really makes you question. Like, do I? I'm. I've been doing this a long time. Do I still want to keep doing this every weekend? And it's three in the morning, and maybe it's pouring rain, and it it can be miserable. A lot of a lot of this 
is miserable except for that time that, that you're on stage. Yeah. It, Mine is it's always like a slice of heaven. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I'm the I think I'm kind of the opposite because, Ken, you had mentioned that in the in the dock. And then you're saying that, Ken, too. I actually enjoy the ride home. It's the drive there that I'm questioning everything because at least with the ride home i'm like at least i'm going home at least everything's done no matter if it's great or terrible i'm like it's just my chance to be like okay i can do this it's that drive there is always the worst for me that's that's what gets me but yeah, yeah I, well the, i i'm more of the drive home kind of guy that uh particularly like a few years back i i don't really drink and drive like i used like i, I you know i got a lyric yeah. is uh what was a was one of my songs. It's called I Drink A Lot, the name of the song. Yeah. Uh, in one of the lyrics is, uh, my doctor said, I'd feel great if I could quit drinking for one minute straight. It's something, and it goes into like, I, I drink and drive, but just at night, you know? <laughs> but but uh, what I'm saying is that like, um, the drive home when I was drinking, um, it wasn't so much the danger of the driving and drinking. It was the fucking exhaustion. Yes. Like yeah, it was drive, the staying awake. Like, like you're not even fucked up. You're just fucking tired. Yeah. Uh, so now when I drive him, I, I don't really hardly drink at all and drive. But there is because I'm sure you guys, when you go on that stage for whatever it is, 40 minutes, 30, one hour, 90 minutes, you are every piston in your body is firing. Yeah. So when I get off, I'm kind of like, you know, I am a little tired. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, but, it's, it, it's a weird mix of exhaustion and adrenaline, though. Like, I still yeah. can't. And it's like it's like you said, and you can't always tell with somebody that every piston in their body's firing. Like, I'm, right. I'm very I'm very low energy on stage, but I still get the same rush and I still get pumped with adrenaline and it's still impossible to fall asleep even even this long in i can never come home and just pass out no matter how tired i am yeah i'm always i'm kind of pinging after, yeah. after a while well it's that thing too of that, that they call it i think just stage health where i'm sure you experience it ken where i, I remember about 10 years ago i had the stomach flu I, I was feeling terrible but i had to do this show i had to do the show I all day I felt terrible. I was sick. I was just, it was the worst. I got myself to the gig. I get up on stage somehow, barely. And then for 45 minutes, I felt completely fine. Mm -hmm. I was totally fine. Had a great show for 45 minutes, walked off stage, ran into the bathroom of the club and just puked my guts out and then like barely made it home. And it's just that adrenaline that just somehow keeps you going for those, for that time that you're on stage. Which is crazy. I agree. I, I, it's like a magic thing on that stage. I have done similar things like that um, where you feel absolutely terrible. You go on some of this magical energy comes, but man, when you're off, it's like, it's, Oh man, it's the crash. <laughs> now you yeah. have a pretty good and, and you've, you've stayed healthy. Like the, uh, I, I remember you talking about this a couple of years ago. You had a pretty good like health regimen as far as like eating, like your nutrition, like you had a theory about that. Didn't you like, what was your, I remember you telling me about it, about like you would avoid certain foods or and do you still stick to that? Am I getting that right? Oh, yeah, I, I'm pretty religious. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm pretty much I call it a flexitarian. I generally eat like a lot of vegetables and uh, some fruits. Um, and uh, then I get into like chicken. But pretty much I will eat probably 75, 78 percent really healthy shit. Yeah. And then I'll get my you know steak sandwich, whatever. But I don't eat. I, here's the thing. It's really weird. I, I break foods into two categories, forward, forward and, and reverse. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Like, Tell me about that again. Forward and reverse. I, I break uh, foods into two categories. Like a forward f food would be, you know, like an orange or banana. Um, and uh, garlic is super forward. Mm -hmm. uh, onions are super forward. Habanero peppers are super forward. Um, then you have like reverse. Like I have never had a pizza. Like to me, pizza is a reverse food. Um, anything that's man-made and ends in a vowel, I will steer clear of ninety-five percent of that. Because if it's man-made and ends in a vowel, it's generally processed. It, it, this is not something that I this this came to me sideways. I was like, one day I figured out why do I I don't eat that. I don't get, it, like anything that's man-made and ends in a vowel. Now something comes out of the ground, like a potato, banana. That ends in a vowel, but it's not man-made. Right. It's very weird, but I, I stick. I'm real religious about this, man. And it works for you, yeah. Which yeah, I mean, great. I 
Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's like I, I, I don't want to brag, but I mean, like, I'm, I mean, I have blacked. I mean, I, it's like pretty stupid. I blacked out at minimum, 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 minimum three thousand times in my life. I mean, like super drinking. I mean, blacked out last week. I mean, I'm not proud of it. It's just when I get rolling, I get rolling. You know? right. and, then I, and then I won't drink. Then I, then I won't drink, you know? Yeah. But for all you know, then you've eaten 3,000 pizzas in your life. did you used to have like did you did you have like forward and reverse drugs back in the day like cocaine cocaine's a forward drug uh that's a good question. I never broke the drugs. I think they're all forward. <laughs> no reverse drugs. <laughs> now, Ken, That's what are you doing? And, and maybe this goes back to the pandemic a little bit, but you know, you're you're still you're playing multiple nights a week. I'm sure you're rehearsing. You're you're whatever. What do you do? What do you like to do when you're not? You have a day off. You're not you're not doing a gig. You put the guitar down. What, what what's what do you do when you're not playing? I like to watch like YouTube videos of. Uh, stuff that's interesting like i really like like the old time philosophers and shit like mm-hmm. i'll watch people like do summaries of uh, this philosopher that philosopher uh i love sports but i don't i don't really watch too much of it mm-hmm. um i'm trying to think i i live near the wissahickon i take long walks which uh, is the a best. couple days a week you know yeah i used to live um, i we used to live in in wissahickon like you know, Roxborough was hicking and we would walk. We were a block from the entrance to the park. And it's the I'm in, it's, I'm in Roxborough right now. Which which was which which entrance? Did, did uh, it, you know, Daisy Field, Daisy Park, like the softball field there. I think, think so. Yeah. yeah. Like, we're, you know, where the um, the custard place is on the on Ridge on Ridge Avenue, where like Ridge Avenue kind of turns to go down the hill. You go up and, the hill there. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. If you're going up the hill and that custard place is on the right, like right behind there is where we were. Wow, that- I didn't even know there was an entrance there. That's it. interesting because I'm down like uh, near Shores Lane and there's an okay. entrance off of Monastery. Oh, sure. Yeah. Down there, yeah. You know? yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's, but I do a lot of stuff like that. But uh, um, I I uh, I mean, I do like to watch YouTube. I'm always trying to learn something, you know, mm-hmm. it sounds weird, but I like to watch boxing like old time boxing matches and shit. Like, yeah. I mean, I fucking love uh, to me. You know, I love that shit. I mean, you know, yeah. Or if I can get an interview with Mike Tyson, I'll watch that. I mean, I, I, oh, there was I, nothing I better. A very, very intelligent guy. You know, he, he doesn't get the credit for that. Yeah. But, um, but I, you know, I'll look at a documentary on Burt Sugar. It was like, boxing <laughs> like, like he's got the cigar going. Like I, I got to start thinking about that cigar, you know, the whole thing. Do you, do you, uh, Chip, do you remember what Burt Sugar looked like? I don't know. I, I don't remember. Yeah, I, I, I know. Remember. I know. I've heard that name, but yeah. He came on Howard Stern once, and Howard, uh, one of his oh. questions was, he asked Bert Sugar if he was aware that Paula Poundstone had been raiding his wardrobe. Oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm looking up right now. He, 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 yeah, he looks like if Dick Van Dyke played a, a gangster. Like that's what. Yeah. yeah. He, I, I actually met him once. You know, I met oh, really? him. He was in West Philly. There was a uh, five heavyweights were getting together at some community center, and I went over there to meet them, like George Foreman and uh, Joe Frazier. And there was fucking Bert Sugar, and Jeez. that motherfucker had the cigar going. He was drinking the vodka. It was un- I mean, to me, I was in heaven. I was like, oh my god. Of course. You know? Oh, that's great. Um, w- uh, yeah, and I know we don't take up too much of your time. Uh, we just got a couple more minutes left. Um, Who's your favorite go-to when, again, when you're off stage, who are you listening to? Who's your all-time favorite musician? I like, I mean, I swear, I grew up on folk music, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, I mean, and I love Leonard Cohen, you know, mm-hmm. I, if I have to really relax, I'll listen to Leonard Cohen. Shit, even though it's about death and whatever, <laughs> I find it relaxing. Um, like, you know, Tom Paxton, Bob Dylan, um, you know, Dave Van Ronk. These are guys from way back. That stuff really resonates with me because it's based on old folk tales that are around hundreds of years. And uh, those themes existed then and they're always they're part of humanity's uh, storybook, you know. Mm-hmm. So I love that. Um, if I want to get get into laughing and shit, I mean, I listened to Roger Miller and uh, Monty Rock the Third, who was a kind of a disco guy but he was completely insane stuff like that but yeah that's the stuff that kind of it's like instead of taking volume i'll listen to that <laughs> stuff i mean because it really 
resonates with where my brain's at, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, so you have uh, Smokey Joe's tonight. Uh, uh, do you have anything else? I mean, you probably have a million things. What else do you have coming up uh, gig-wise? Okay, tonight's Smokey Joe's. Tomorrow's a private party. Friday, which is my 70th fucking birthday, Oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> That's great. I had an opportunity not to work. I said, fuck, I'm going to work. <laughs> it's only my 70th, right? Oh, that's great. So I'm going to work out at the, the Bridgeport Rib House. Oh, yeah. Bridgeport. Great venue, yeah. And then Sunday, um, Sunday afternoon, it will be my first comeback at Dobbs as it's reopened. I'll be doing a bunch of Sunday afternoons there. Um, so, I mean, I'm doing at least three gigs a week. This week's four, you know, um, and uh, I'll be eating a lot of stuff that doesn't end in a vowel. So I hope <laughs> that I will have the energy, you know. Yeah. Uh, but how about, how about you guys? What, what's your schedule? Or how can I get your schedule and all that stuff? Um, yeah, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll plug myself. By the way, where can people, before and before we forget, where can people find you, like, online or to find your schedule and all that? Well, I always post stuff on my Facebook page, Ken Queter, K-E-N-N-K-W-E-D-E-R. And also on Instagram, that's... Ken Queter also, uh, those two social media things. I generally post what's up. I used to, I had a website, but I don't know if it's me, but websites don't seem to be as, uh, kinetic as, you know, like, 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 like if, if I want to know about American airlines, I'll go to the website. I don't think too many motherfuckers going to be looking for the Ken Queter website. Right. Yeah. With social media, I think that's where that's the first jumping off point everybody goes to to Twitter or to like that's I update my Twitter much more. You're going to find much more about me there than 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 otherwise. Yeah, I got to get I have a Twitter account. I just never use it. Yeah, I should get on there. Do you find it's uh, productive? It it is. It it is. And it isn't. I think for certain people it is. I I think Facebook is a good community place where it's like because it's like. I think it's a lot more hyper local. So it's like, oh, Philly people, they'll find you on Facebook and you can include that. Whereas, uh, whereas Twitter works, but I think it's not, it's definitely not what it was five, 10 years ago, you know? So it's sort yeah, of diminish, yeah. diminishing returns. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but Facebook works out pretty good for me, but as you know, uh, when you do what you do and Ken does what he does, what we do, we have to each and every day be active. I mean, even before I came on to speak with you, I was, tying up some loose ends about a booking for Mark Teague and I mm-hmm. in October. And I'll tell oh, you wow. one thing. <laughs> yeah. That is one mother. I do not like doing it. I mean, I got to do it all the time, but, uh, and I'm sure you probably do the same thing. It's like your brain is, is the comedy machine. You know what I mean? And Ken, you're, it's like the nuts and bolts of booking a gig. I, you know, it's just hard, you know, yeah. oh, it drives me nuts. Yeah. It's people, people think we work, you know, Oh, you work an hour a night and it's like, no, oh, we work no. <laughs> 10 hours a day and we get to have fun for an hour a night. I mean, that's basically what it is. You know, trying it's, to- it's, it's, it's like we have become our own administrative assistant. So it's yeah. like, mm-hmm. uh, like 60% of my energy output is the administrative stuff. And it's like, Oh, uh, and I got to make sure I ain't fucking drunk when I'm doing it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, what do you mean I'm supposed to be there tonight? Fuck, I didn't put it down. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, well, well, Ken, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, it thank, I, I've thank been a big guys. fan forever. Yeah, Ken yeah. Is, Hope you had fun. A new, new big I had a great time. Uh, so, yeah, well, I and by the way, happy birthday. And uh, yeah, you. I hope to see you out there, out there sometime soon. Um, uh, Ken Krantz. I hope I see you too, man. Are you going to be doing anything in Philly soon or? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm actually hoping sometime, maybe in the spring or summer, I'm going to, I want to record my next album. So that's my, hopefully that's focused. So I have like little shows here and there up until yeah. then, but um, we're actually doing, I'll plug something, Blake Wexler, who I forget if Blake's been on the show yeah, or not. Yeah, he, he did uh, oh, Twisted yeah. Sister with us. That's right. Yeah, uh, he's got a great fun new show just on Monday nights upstairs at Black Sheep. You probably know Black Sheep. I love Black 17. Sheep. Yeah, is and it it's just a, Monday. Yeah, he so he's there every Monday. I stop in every once in a while, but uh, that's a really great show. And so I'm just doing little shows here and there. I'm going to be down at the Borgata in a couple on Valentine's Day. I'll be at the Borgata, uh, awesome. you know, so that should be fun. But uh, yeah, working up to that next next album. So yeah, Ken, where nice. are you going to be? I actually I have a Philly date coming up. Um, Thursday, February 3rd, I'm at Parks Casino with the great Bonnie McFarlane. Oh, that's great. And then, cool. yeah, and then I'm back. I'll have to get the details on the next show, but I'm back somewhere in Philly with Bonnie on the 24th of March. Okay. Uh, also great. a Thursday. Cool. Yeah. And uh, other than that, Ken Krantz comic, 
find find the show at rock and roll pod and i'm at chip chantry uh but and just yeah find at rock and roll pod uh, and uh, and Ken Queter, thank you so much. It's it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, Thanks thank so you. That um, you writing a song uh, for Coke <laughs> for your Coke dealer is easily my favorite story anybody's told on here. So <laughs> I was under pre- I was under pressure. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you, my best Eric Harrison, man. Oh yeah, I will for sure. Yeah, he's uh, he's a good dude. We're gonna have him on uh, when his next album comes out, and I know he's doing an album of like John Prine songs. I got that. I just yeah. got yeah. I yeah. just got just got that there. And he, I, I watched a couple of your clips, man, on YouTube. They're hilarious. Oh, thank you so sent, much. He sent me a clip. He sent me a clip, and, I, and then I researched you. you know? Oh, so thank then, you, I, I, Ken. I don't. I want to tell you, you probably got the wrong Ken Krantz then. <laughs> That, that's not him. <laughs> if it was funny, if it was funny, no, that's that's the wrong guy. Yeah, I'll send the coke dealer over. <laughs> yeah, Ken, thank you so much. We'd love to have you back on if you were up. Yeah, for we'd it. love to have you sometime that, that, and uh, have fun at Smokes second. tonight. Oh. And tell uh, tell Mark uh, tell Mark T guy said hello. Oh yeah, what one? Hold on a second. Go ahead. She's very upset. <laughs> I love it. I, I love, love you guys. Thank you. All right, All right Ken. Thank, thank you, you so much. Greater. See you next right, week. Take care. All right.